and uh, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us here safely once again for this time that we have to be together to study your word and to study uh, issues related to this uh, crucial and important topic of marriage. And we ask your blessing upon our marriages uh, and we pray uh, that uh, you'll direct us and instruct us from the scriptures now. And also, as we uh, come to your word and as we reflect on the things that we'll be discussing, that you will be using your word to stir us up and to warm us and to prepare us for worship. We ask your blessing on all the other Sunday school classes taking place now as well, and that you'd be present uh, and, uh, and at work through your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as I mentioned last time, we come this week to the topic of communication, and we're going to spend at least two weeks, I'm thinking probably three, on, on communication, um, simply because it's such an important topic. It's so central. It's so crucial. Uh, and you think about it, we will deal with lots of issues related to marriage over the course of this, uh, this series of classes, but uh, you can't address any of them without effective communication, can you? So we'll, we'll spend some time talking about things like finances, because, you know, the statistics say that, um, uh, you know, one of the main issues that cause stress in a marriage and that cause marriages even to break up, it's financial uh, issues. And uh, so it's, that's definitely an issue in marriage, but you can't solve those issues unless you're able to communicate about them, right? So... Um, and let me say at the outset as well, because when, especially when we come to a topic like communication, I'm sure uh, you come to it with some, some ideas in your minds about what you might want to have addressed, uh, directions you might want the discussion to go, and uh, admittedly I'll probably tailor lessons for the next week or two based on some of the input I get back from you. So I'm going to ask you to communicate with me, you know, about the things and the concerns that are on your hearts. And, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a little bit about uh, where I intend to go at this point here in a minute. Uh, you see the quote up at the top of the page. Quality communication is equal parts what you say, how you say it, and how you listen. So those three elements uh, are involved. Practice love and gentleness in all three, says Ryan Frederick. Uh, so the first thing I want to discuss is uh, just how uh, centrally important communication is. Uh, communication is critical in every area of life. Uh, I was going to put a snarky post on Facebook talking about the, uh, you know, the, the, the late model automobiles that they're coming out with and the things they're equipped with. Amazing technology. Some of these automobiles have lights on the outside of them, and the driver can control it, and it will flash to indicate the direction you intend to turn. And I just encourage people to use those. <laughs> um, so what are you doing when you use your directional signals? You're communicating. You're telling the guy who's waiting to turn that, you know, I'm going to turn right there where you are, so you can go ahead and pull out. It's communication. So communication is important in every area of life. Uh, I had an uncle who was an infantry lieutenant in the Marine Corps. He served in Vietnam. Did a combat tour in Vietnam as an infantry lieutenant. Low survivability rate for those guys. And thank God he came back alive. Um, he told me stories, and he said uh, when they were on patrol, 
tanks they got, anytime the, the Viet Cong would ambush a patrol, they'd go for three people immediately from the get-go. Of course, they'd, they'd try to take out the, the platoon leader or the patrol leader. And they'd try to take out the machine gunner because he's got the most casualty-producing weapon. But they'd always go for the radio operator. Because if, if they can down the radio operator, communication is cut off. They can't call for reinforcements. They can't call for air support. They ha they're isolated. Eliminate the communication, and then you can take advantage of your enemy. Um, in, uh, in the Army, uh, I imagine this is uh, true uh, in some form or another of, of the Marine Corps and, and uh, other combat-oriented uh, uh, elements, but uh, they take all the basic soldier skills... That, uh, that someone in the army has to learn, they can summarize it under these three categories. Shoot, in other words, engage in combat. Uh, move, all different forms of maneuver, and communicate. And like you hear basic trainees, if they're marching along, the drill sergeant's marching them from one point to another, and they'll be calling out cadence, and sometimes you hear cadence about shoot, communicate, move on out. You know, and it's those three things that summarize what soldiers do, and communicate is one of the central things. It's a fundamental uh, aspect of productivity and of success in, in the work environment. So why do you think uh, that uh, employers invest in training their employees in communication? Because the better a team in the workplace communicates, the more effective, the more successful they'll be. So it's, it's critical in all areas of life, so it makes perfect sense, wouldn't it, uh, that it's crucial in marriage. Um, and on the more negative uh, side of things, communication problems tend to make all other problems worse. Or at the very least, they inhibit our ability, they, they, they uh, reduce our ability to address those problems. So whatever the problem is, again, we use the example of finances, uh, any other thing that... Um, that couples can have tension in their relationship about. Uh, if there's communication problems, it's just going to make matters more difficult, and it's going to prevent them from being able to solve those problems. Um, and then I want to summarize sort of what communication is about, what it's for uh, in a marriage. And I think based on stuff that I've uh, the information I've gathered, reading that I've done, and, and preparation I've made for, for this portion of the class, uh, two themes have come out. Uh, one is that communication is essential for developing unity. And the other is that uh, it's, and this may seem self-evident, but it's, it's essential for, for getting to know each other. And that's what a marriage is about, knowing another person. Um, we see, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis again. It might start to seem repetitive uh, for us to continue to go back to Genesis 1, to Genesis 2. But Genesis 2, 24, if someone would read that for us, please. They become one flesh. That's very familiar biblical language. We see it repeated elsewhere in the Bible multiple times in the New Testament. I gave you uh, 
some references there. Jesus cites this uh, statement in Matthew 19. He cites it again in Mark and again in Luke. Um, and then the passage uh, that we were looking at in Malachi just last week, where the prophet complains you know, on behalf of the Lord, he complains to the people, and he's talking about marriage, and he's saying, you know, when God brings two people uh, together, does he not make them one? And that's the nature of marriage. It's, it's unity. Husband and wife are one flesh. <clears throat> so unity is part of the very uh, nature of, of the marriage relationship. And so is knowledge. God created us to be relational creatures. You know, other, he has other creatures that are relational to some degree or other, right? In various ways. Uh, some members of the animal kingdom are more communal than others. You know, some are more loners. Some tend to stick together in groups, families, you might say. And so there's relation there in a sense, in a very uh, basic sense. But man... Is, is a relational creature by design. Um, God created us that way. It's a reflection of the Trinity. If you think about God's nature, He's one God. He's eternally one God, but He's also eternally three persons. And so from eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had perfect and joyous communion together long before anything was ever created. And because God is a relational being, and he's even relational within himself, prior to there being anything else but God, he created his image bearers to be relational. We are created to have relationship with one another. And all different forms of relationships, but marriage being the supreme one. Marriage being the most intimate one. Um, that's why, uh, if you turn over to Genesis 4... Verse 1, it says, now, Cain, uh, no, excuse me, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You see the same thing said of Cain, uh, back uh, down in verse 17 of the same chapter. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And it happens once again after the, uh, the death of Abel. Verse 25 of Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. Now, obviously, the term know there is, uh, is talking about something much more than cognition. It's obviously a reference to uh, the sexual relationship. But it's, um, it's not just that. And uh, R.C. Sproul, in his series on marriage, uh, really labors this point. He, um, and he, he takes to task people who, who, um, who are critical of the Bible for using that term. As if, you know, it's some kind of euphemism, or the Bible's, you know, kind of prudish and doesn't want to say certain things uh, just kind of more explicitly, so it uses this... Uh, that's, that's really not what's at work. Because if you've read your Bibles, and I'm going to ask for a show of hands, but if you're one of those people who's actually read the whole Bible, and I trust that most of you are people who've read the whole Bible uh, numerous times... You know, there are things in the Bible that just make you shudder sometimes. And, say, and you say, I can't believe that's in Scripture. So it's not as if God is shy or he's you know, afraid to say certain things in an explicit way when he needs to or wants to. Uh, but this, when, when it uses that word no, especially here, uh, in the beginning, 
is talking about the fact that this, this marriage relationship and the intimacy that God designed for there to be between husband and wife was not to be a casual relationship. It's a very intimate and special relationship. So he created us for relationship, and we want that. You know, there are some people who are a little bit more, um, you know, what are the words we use? Some people are a little bit more uh, loners, they're introverts, you know, they, they're not as gregarious and socially outgoing. But no matter how introverted a person is, they're going to need relationship, and they want relationship deep inside, because that's the way God made us. Um... And so the intent of marriage, then, is that two people come to know and to understand each other very, at, the, at the very deepest level uh, that human relationship is capable of. And it's far beyond the physical part of it. It's, it's, it's all about knowing the other person. That's why in 1 Peter 3.7, let's turn there together. Look at what uh, the Lord commands husbands... In 1 Peter 3, 7, after he's given some directions in verses 1 through 6 to the wives, he says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. So husbands are called to understand their wives. It's not always easy, and that's why guys check out. Say, I don't get her. You know, I don't understand. Uh, but God commands us to understand. Dwell with your wives in an understanding way. There's that knowledge that's, uh, that's intended in the marriage relationship. Um, and then, God made human beings relational creatures, and again, it's a reflection of his own nature. That's what I was talking about when I made reference to the Trinity. God is a relational being in and of himself, and he made you and he made me with his image stamped upon us. And, and so, therefore, we desire relationship because the one who made us in his image is a relational being. And the closest, most intimate human relationship is the marriage relationship. Some of you have close friends, right? And a close friendship is a wonderful thing. If you've got a really uh, a, a close friend that you can confide in and you get, enjoy spending some time with, uh, that's, that's, that's great. And I, you know, it's, it's always wonderful when you have a good relationship with your coworkers. It's a real blessing. It makes going to work a whole lot easier when, when you look forward to being around the people that you work with. And, uh, you know, and if you get along well with your neighbors or, you know, Lord willing, folks at church. Um, but that closest relationship of all is the marriage relationship. So that, uh, that's why communication is so important. Um, any questions or comments so far about just what we've talked about in, under Roman numeral one? Okay, uh, Roman numeral two, uh, the skill of communication, or the art of communication. I really do think of it as an art form. Um, and think about any kind of skill, athletic skill, artistic skill, uh, skill of any kind, uh, it has to be learned. 
Now that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are some just more naturally gifted at it, just like athletics. I mean, I wasn't an exceptionally gifted athlete. I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to all that. I was never, as a young child, I was never all that interested in sports. I was interested in other things. I mean, I was more of an artist type. I liked to draw and 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 stuff like that. Um, I liked music. Um, later on, uh, I got really interested in sports, but you know, all my friends had been doing it, you know, since they were small, and they they, they were way ahead of me. So I'd, anyway, uh, now we have two sons. Our older son is is a fine athlete. He's a black belt in karate, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, our younger son is really, really naturally gifted at, at athletics. And when I think of natural giftings in athletics, I think of the daughter of a friend of ours from our seminary years. I mean, uh, this girl's off the charts in terms of athletic gifting. What do they call those boards? Uh, They're like skateboards, but there's a joint in the middle, and you do like this, and it makes them go... What's ripsticks? Okay, so this girl, we showed up because our, our boys and a couple of other friends from seminary were over at this family's house just for a play day, you know, and we went over to pick them up. And this girl is out there on the driveway on a ripstick dribbling a basketball as she goes along on the ripstick. Now, I can hardly dribble a basketball standing still, but this girl's doing it on the ripstick, just, you know, weaving in and out of people, dribbling the basketball the whole time. Now, that's gift, right? So, uh, if she ever made it to the WNBA, she'd have to train really hard to achieve that level. But she's got lots of natural gifts uh, to, to, to build on, to start with. Uh, it's that way with music. It's that way with uh, just you name it. Even preaching. You know, I... Um, uh, at seminary, you know, guys come in, they want to train to be ministers of the gospel, so they have to learn to preach. And some people are really naturally good at it. Others, uh, not as natural. I mean, they have to have a certain gifting or they're going to get called to the ministry. But, uh, you know, others you know, they have to work at it more. I mean, I, there's this guy in my chaplain class years ago. I mean, I, you know, I may be a, a single talent or a two talent preacher. This guy was a five talent preacher, man. And he'd start, he's doing his field sermon and everybody stopped what they're doing and stopped to listen to him. It was amazing. Um, anyway, point being, communication is a skill. Communication is an art. And you have to develop it. You have to learn. It has to be learned, it has to be cultivated, it has to be maintained. I was studying conducting once years ago, and the guy who was, was teaching me, uh, he said this is a perishable skill. In other words, if you're not using it, your skills are going to deteriorate. And it's that way with lots of other things, too. Uh, there was some famous uh, pianist, concert pianist, might have been Horowitz, I'm not sure, but he's, don't remember who's, what his name was or which, which uh, performing artist it was, but I very clearly remember the statement that's attributed to him, whoever he was. He said, if I don't practice for one day, I can tell. I know it. If I don't practice for two days, my friends know it. If I don't practice for three days, the world knows it. And, you know, we got to keep practicing and, and uh improving and maintaining our communication skills. Um, and we can, and we should. All right? Um, now, a, one of the things that a really skillful communicator 
can do and does is adapt to the various different circumstances that affect communication. And I put a couple on the list, and, and um, I bet some of you can think of some others. Uh, so, what are the variables that affect how we communicate, and and, uh, and 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 so on? First of all, the parties involved, right? I'll communicate to uh, to a, a, a young person uh, in in this church a little differently than I'd communicate with my own son. Uh, so, who am I talking to? Who's talking to me? How we communicate uh, is it varies according to the parties involved. I'll speak to a subordinate in the army differently than I'll speak to my supervisor, the lieutenant colonel chaplain who's over me. Um, so, the parties involved. Also, the environment. You know, this is a tough one too. You know, I mean, you're out in public, and a, and a subject, a touchy, you know, sensitive subject, comes up between a husband and wife, and they start to talk about it right there in front of everybody. Well, you know, sometimes that's not the greatest idea. You got to be sensitive to your environment. Or even, you know, there are times. My parents made a practice, uh, and they were very good at it, I think, because uh, I never noticed them violating this this uh, uh, this agreed practice between them. But if they had a disagreement, they would not discuss it in front of my sister and me. They always made a point to talk about it when we weren't there. Uh, um, now, I don't know. There's maybe, some, maybe a bad side to that. Maybe we missed out on the opportunity to see them work through a problem together. But uh, the point was they didn't, want, uh, they didn't want to argue in front of my sister and me. And uh, so they, they made that a... So that's the environment. You know, where are you? Who's the, who else is there? Uh, other circumstances. Well, what time is it? You know, you get home late from prayer meeting. Both of you are tired and an issue comes up. Well, maybe that's not the best time to discuss it. Maybe you just figure out a way to agree to talk about it the next day, to sleep on it and, and work, it, work it out later. Uh, you know, other recent events uh, and so forth. And then subject matter. Um, you know, a disagreement about where to go to dinner is a little bit different than a disagreement about um, uh, how are we going to pay this this bill. You know that we don't have enough money in the bank right now to pay. Um, so discussing different subject matter is going to call sometimes for adjustments in the way we communicate. Can you think of other circumstances that would affect communication? That's a great point. And it brings up another, uh, another whole aspect of communication. That is, there's verbal communication, and there's a lot of nonverbal, too, isn't there? Um, uh, you touched on already, but emotions, uh, emotional state of people, and we to that, too. Uh, whether you're happy, sad, whatever, affects your communication. And, and listening. That in your very first sentence here, up at the very top, how you listen, your your receptivity is uh, affects the communication so much. Right. Yeah, we get a lot of 
communication coaching in the army uh, it's hard to tell if it's actually having any effect on anybody but we get it and uh, we get the training and they talk about active listening you know what active listening is even if you've never had a course in any kind of communication you know you want to you know just make eye contact with the person and do things you let your body language and and so forth let them know that what they're saying you're 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 dialed in you're paying attention you know and there are different ways to do that but you want to you know try to do that good point anything else Anne? um this is a circumstance but uh, disagreements over discipline for children um disagreements when a child is has done something inappropriate either currently or in school that we found that 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 has been our seeing our friends in arguments have to do with that very much. I think we agreed before we had any how we deal with some stuff. Like if you say no and then child comes to me and says, the question is, what did daddy say? You know, but we had a lot of friends that did not do that. Mm. It was right. And good for you for settling that in advance, you know, and kind of agree. Well, okay. <laughs> that was one thing. All right. What other circumstances might affect how we communicate? Yeah, this is, uh, especially those of you who are a little bit on the older side, um, I I told this to Hillary, I don't think she'll mind me sharing this, I was was kidding, of course, but uh, uh, I was going to get a hearing test, it was required, you know, it's just a routine hearing check for for my medical readiness for the Army, and uh, and she comments to me once in a while, you need to get your hearing checked, and... uh, (laughs) So I came back from the uh, from the audiologist and I said, my hearing check turned out uh, perfect. They said my hearing's still still fine, no problems. But they gave me a prescription for you to help you stop mumbling. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I, same stuff goes on with my mom and dad. My dad has profound hearing loss. He was on B-52s when he was in the Air Force, you know, so... You don't come out of that with uh, with all your hearing intact. <laughs> uh, any other circumstances before we go on with the last little section? I want to talk about some some communication first aid. I wouldn't really. It's really. I'll, I'll be honest. I had a difficult time kind of organizing the information for this section of the course. I think I know where I'm going for the next couple of sessions. But uh, what I thought I'd do is because I mean, statistically speaking. Uh, People in this room or, or people who might hear this recording later uh, are already dealing with difficulties or challenges or problems in their communication. And so, you know, maybe as kind of a communication triage, I want to talk about some communication danger signs and uh, look at some scripture related to them and then uh, talk about possible ways we can, um, we can address those. Uh, but before we go on, any other input from any of you guys about anything else that we've covered so far today or questions? Okay, so in one of the um, one of the uh, kind of chaplain-led uh, 
I guess you could call it resiliency training courses that, that I've taught in the past, one of the phases of it that I think is very, very useful is this section where they talk about what are called communication danger signs. Now, some of them are pretty, uh, um, pretty obvious, but I guess I bring them up because if we spell them out, and then you observe patterns of like these in your own communication with your spouse, you can maybe take steps or begin to take steps to address those. And I've got them on your hand out there, and I want to write them up here as well. And one way to help remember them is using this acronym. I guess it's kind of an acronym. E-I-N... W, and the way you remember the sequence of those letters is the phrase, East is not West. All right? East is not West. The E stands for escalation. And I don't think I have to say a whole lot more uh, for, for you to understand what I'm talking about. Because when, when a couple, and I'm going to try to keep it, you know, this is true in lots of scenarios, but uh, we're talking about, this is a course on marriage, and we're talking about married relationships, and so we'll, we'll try to address it in that context. You've seen couples, and maybe you as couples have been involved in um, a discussion that turns into a disagreement, and then you begin to argue, and one person raises their voice, and the other person raises their voice a little bit more. And the other person raises theirs more, and that, so that's that escalation. Escalation can happen in volume, you know, just loudness of voice, but can also you can escalate in terms of the 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 severity uh, of the statements that you're making to your spouse, the unkindness, the harshness with which you speak. I mean, you can say something really soft, but cuts right to the person's heart can't you? So if, uh, if one person in the course of the argument just tosses out some kind of, you know, just an unkind statement, just to kind of give some bite to their argument, I guess, and then the other person responds with something even more harsh, and the next thing you know, you're bringing up stuff that you shouldn't be bringing up. That's escalation. And I want you to see what Scripture says about escalation and see how Scripture commends to us the skill and the work of de-escalating. So turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. Would somebody read that for us, please? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay, so the person who escalates is really going to only do what? They're going to stir up more anger. But a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, a soft answer can, not always, but a soft answer has tremendous power to, to disarm the other person. I can remember our pastor from back when we were living in Asheville made this point. Um, uh, he said, you know, when two people are arguing, he says, I have never seen, he says, I bet none of you have ever seen either. Two people arguing, they're getting louder and louder and louder, they're escalating. And then finally, one of the other persons says, whoa, you know, now that you said it that loud, I get it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I just needed you to reach a certain decibel level, and, then I, and now I understand. Okay, I see your point. That doesn't happen. And when, in terms of um, escalation of just harshness of words, the more you do that, all you're doing, you're just sinning against the other person. Because you're being unkind. You, you, your language is hateful, it's destructive, and you're going to say things you uh, 
you're going to regret things that you can't take back because you can't you know once words are spoken you can't take them back all right so that's escalation uh, the next one is invalidation and I've got the uh, definition of invalidation for you on the handout that's when you put down the thoughts opinions of others or even their character um, it's basically just a taking of whatever it is they said or whatever they're arguing for and dismissing it as unimportant or invalid uh, or, or you name it. And um, I couldn't find a, a good pithy statement from the book of Proverbs to, uh, to speak to the issue of invalidation or even to illustrate it for that matter. Uh, I just kind of ran out of time and I, uh, I know the book of Proverbs fairly well but um, nothing just sprang to mind and my searching didn't yield much. But I did think of John chapter 9. Turn with me there because we're going to look at a little passage there. John 9 where you see a, uh, a very uh, clear example of invalidation. <clears throat> this is where Jesus heals the man who is born blind, and uh, word is getting around, and the Pharisees call the man in, the, the, the religious leaders, the, the, the council, they, they want to know what's going on here, how did this happen, because they've already got it out for Jesus, and word is getting around that Jesus healed this man who had been born blind. All right. Jesus healed a lot of people, but evidently there's something really special about the fact that he healed and restored sight to or gave sight to a man who never had sight. And that kind of comes out in the text. But uh, So the man uh, appears before the Pharisees, and he tells them the story, and they're not satisfied. And they call the man's parents and said, is this your son? Yeah, it's our son. Was he born blind? Yes. How is it that he now sees? And they said, well, we don't know. We know that's our son. We know that he was born blind. Uh, how he sees now, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age because they were terrified that the leaders were going to put them out of the synagogue if they, if they said anything kind of favorable about Jesus. So then they go back to the man again, start interrogating him. And they've heard the story already. And uh, so starting in verse 30, uh, well, in verse 29, they say that they knew, the, the, the Pharisees said, We know God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. So look at verse 30 with me. The man answered, Why, well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And look how they invalidate him. Verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? They cast him out, put him out of the synagogue. That was like removal from society for Jews in that culture. If you're put out of the synagogue, you're a nobody. Invalidation. You were born in utter sin. So dismissing any validity of what he said by uh, denigrating him that way. Another example is what the, it's almost funny really, but uh, it's not funny, but it's, it's sort of borderline funny how childish the, uh, the Sanhedrin was um, in dealing with Stephen, because he's called to address the the council, and he gives his extended address, and that's what most of Acts chapter seven contains. 
And at the end, he, he rebukes them. He rebukes them for their sin. He rebukes them for being stiff-necked and for rejecting Christ. Just as the, their forefathers had rejected Moses, cast him aside. And so, um, uh, he... Uh, ten minutes. Um, says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. <laughs> How childish, right? It's just to, just to imagine it. But, but that's invalidation. Saying, I don't care what you're saying. What you're saying has no merit. And, uh, you know, we talked about different kinds of communication. Um, there's invalidation that goes like this. Right? Did I roll them hard enough? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. So you just. You know. Someone's talking, trying to express their opinion, trying to express a concern, and you just shake your head. You're invalidating them the whole time. Uh, rolling your eyes, shrugging your shoulders. It's those are forms of. Now, I'm not saying that those gestures are always um, wrong, but. If someone's trying to bear their heart to you and that's how you respond, you're invalidating them. Yes? Another uh, point that goes right along with that negative inter- uh, or invalidation is uh, 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 the, I read um, some places that if you have, if somebody trying to make a point to you or you're having a discussion and you are thinking of your rebuttal, or your reply to them while they're saying whatever they're saying, you're really not listening very well to them, and um, it's just going to get worse. That's right. Yeah, and that's very hard to do because you want to make your case, you want to make it clearly, you want to articulate your your view well. So as the other person's talking, you're not really listening. You're not actively listening. You're you're sort of you're 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 on screensaver, and in in you in the background, you're you're formulating what you're going to say next. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so with invalidation, again, just to draw on something else that that uh, pastor friend of ours told us, uh, when he talked about conflict resolution, and this is going to sound really weird, it's going to sound really uncomfortable, but he says when, when you're discussing something with someone, help, when they're, when they're, especially if they're at odds with you, if they, if they have a complaint against you, he said, help them make their case against you. You know? Uh, when they say, you know, you're doing this, or, or this is the problem that I have with, with the way you're going about such and such. Um, first of all, you show you're actively listening by repeating back to them what they're saying. And then you say, so, so and you start to figure out where they're right. And speak that back to them. And that's a really effective way to communicate, and it will help the person see that you actually care. And it can go a long way towards helping you resolve whatever the uh, conflict is. Yeah. But that's, that's a very important point, because it's something we do all the time. We don't listen to the other person. We're too busy thinking about what to say next. Um, next, negative interpretation. Um, 
somebody somebody said to me or kind of got the the phrase in my head many years ago about you put the best construction on what other people do and what they say even you know a lot of times even if you don't have a good reason to assign to that person a good intent or 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 kind or or uh, logical or reasonable uh intent in what they say it's helpful in terms of communication, to, to put the best construction. Like somebody does something, somebody says something, and you find yourself scratching your head thinking, why did they do that? Why did they say that? Is it something they want? Or are they trying to, they trying to trap me in something I'm going to say or do? You know, put the best construction on it. It's very helpful. And I've found... Um, that uh, you know, in 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 marriage, but also in other relationships, if somebody, if I if I am in a um, an encounter with someone and they say or they do something, and I'm thinking, why did they do that? If I wait, if I give it a rest, a lot of times I find out not too long after that that their in- intention wasn't anything like what I kind of naturally thought it was. Um, but negative interpretation is when we make negative and or unfair assumptions about what the other person was thinking. Uh, since we're nearly out of time, we won't turn to Joshua 22. I'll just tell you the story. You probably know it. If you've read Joshua, you know this story. Uh, they've conquered the land, right? And now everybody's returning to their territories. And there were th- uh, two and a half tribes that were going to live on the other side of Jordan. They were headed back towards their territories. And before they crossed the Jordan to go into the land of Gilead, where God had given them an inheritance, they built this altar. Um, a big one. It says it was an altar of imposing size. And then the rest of Israel heard about it. They said, they built an altar. And they assumed that they built it for sacrifice and that they were going to violate God's commandments that you'd only offer sacrifice at the place that God designated. At, that, at the time, it was the tabernacle. And so the whole nation of Israel gathers their weapons and they assemble to go wage war on these tribes that had built this altar. And they show up and the other tribes are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got it all wrong. We just built this as a memorial. Because we're going to be living on the other side of Jordan. And as our kids grow up and your kids grow up, in case your kids come to our kids and say, you don't have any portion in Yahweh, we can say, yeah, this, this altar is testimony to the fact that we are one nation and we helped with the conquest of the land. So it wasn't there, they were not going to offer animal sacrifice on that altar. But the, the, uh, the rest of the nation assumed that that's what they had built the altar for. They made a negative interpretation of the actions of those tribes. And we do the same kind of thing all the time with other people. Um, And then the last one here real quick, and then I want to leave time, a few minutes for um, uh, for questions or comments. But the last one, the W is withdrawal. That's where you just disengage, you know. You don't want to argue. Uh, but also you don't want to you're tired of hearing what the other person says and so you just check out Um, and that is a communication danger sign now there are times when when probably is a good idea to check out Um, and we'll talk about that uh, in just a second but this is a unwillingness when I talk about withdrawal I mean an unwillingness to get into or to stay with an important discussion Uh, so turn with me as we close to Proverbs 18 
and verse 1. And if somebody's got it, go ahead and read it for us, please. Okay, so withdrawal is the person who says, I'm not going to talk about this with you, and just pulls out. Um, now, uh, when you see these things happening, sometimes the best solution for the immediate, for the near term, is to withdraw, for both to agree to withdraw, and we call that time out. You know, it's not just for kids anymore, right? So a... a um, a, a communication first aid skill is for a husband and a wife to be able to agree that at sometimes they need a timeout. They're discussing things, things have been escalating, and they realize we're not, either of us, in a condition where we can discuss this. Let's, uh, let's back off, let's catch our breath, let's maybe get a night of rest, take this back up tomorrow. But there are a couple of rules about timeouts. First of all, both have to agree to it. It's not just one person withdrawing and saying, forget it, I'm not talking about this. It's when, when the two realize, this isn't going anywhere, let's take a break. Okay, that's, it has to be mutual. And then the other most important thing, uh, there are a couple of other, and I don't, I'm forgetting some of, the, some of the guidelines for timeouts, but the other thing is they, they, they have to be of a, um, of a definite duration. So it's not like you call a timeout and then you just never take it back up. It's not like the, the issue is permanently tabled and it just kind of gets swept off to the side. You say, um, let's come back together and talk about this maybe after dinner. Or let's talk about this tomorrow. Agree when you're going to resume the discussion. Any questions or comments about any of this or anything that we talked about today? I think it's okay to seek counsel. Like I might, or, or and, and agree to go. You know, okay, we're, we're we're not getting anywhere with this. I, you know, one or both of us are blind. That's what the other one is, is, is trying to communicate here. So let's go seek some counsel. I think that's a wise thing. We might, you know, somebody might come to you and we would say, here it is, you know, or or, or Noah or somebody, you know, what do y'all think about, you know, and then. That knowing though going to the right person because it's important for that person to feel like he or, or she could say I see both of you but I'll just use myself but Reed I think you're wrong on this one oh, okay well, let me deal with that then for, you know, let me think about that if I'm wrong now what? yeah yeah so, so again, that's why I call these, uh, this, is, this is communications first aid. Um, if, if the bleeding won't stop, you need more than just first aid, right? So, yeah, if, if you keep having to call the timeouts and you're not, still not getting anywhere, then, you know, but at least this helps you uh, to get to that point of realizing that you need more help. Right, right. Well, and then hopefully, too, if you can agree to take the time out, that's a step towards not harboring bitterness or, you know. Uh, the third one, negative interpretation. Um, 
I guess a synonym of that be like judging motives of another person. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of balled up in it. Because if, you know, sometimes somebody will offer you a compliment, but you think, why do they say that? You know, what they're really saying is, uh, and that, that's a negative interpretation. Yeah, Debbie? What about, um, number two, the, the invalidation? What if, what if there's uh, someone who, because of, you know, they don't want to have any kind of conflict, will just say, oh, I agree with you, and try to validate that really we're just throwing them out of the window? Mm-hmm. Being passive-aggressive? Yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't, I don't have a category for that just in my hip pocket, but I see what you're saying, and it happens. I wonder if that would... Uh, that, maybe that's a species of withdrawal. That's a species of withdrawal, perhaps. You know, you're right, you're right. Even though you're thinking, no, you're wrong, I disagree with you, but I don't want to talk about it, so I'll just concede. Uh, we're over time, so we'll go ahead and break, but I'm looking forward to the next time talking a little bit more about, um, about the unity that can be achieved through communication, and then after that, uh, just the, the, the knowing aspect of communication. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the time we have together, and we uh, thank you for our marriages, and we thank you for the future marriages of this congregation and within our families, and we ask you to strengthen them and uh, help us as husbands and wives, future husbands and wives, to be good communicators for your glory and for your honor and for the good of Christ and of his church. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.